Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon. Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention is ready to return in 2023. SoonerCon 31 will be held in Norman, Oklahoma on June 30th through July 2nd, 2023. Gaming, cosplay, autographs, and an art auction await. Visit SoonerCon.com for more details. The Hellmouth Convention where fandoms bleed together. Evoking the center of the mystical convergence, our event includes fandoms and travelers from all over the world. Like the Hellmouth itself, things gravitate toward it that you might not find elsewhere. The celebration is scheduled for June 9th through 11th, 2023, in Los Angeles, California. Go to thehellmouth.org to plan your visit. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming James Green Jr. to the show. He and I are going to have a great chat about his new book, A Convenient Parallel Dimension, which is a charting of the history of the Ghostbusters franchise. But this is also going to tie in nicely with some other conversations I've had with other guests in the very recent past, and I'd like to talk about that after the show is done. Let's get started right now on tap today we have james green jr how are you doing this evening good sir i'm great how are you i'm doing fantastic you are the author of a recently released book called a convenient parallel dimension where you are tracking the creation of the movie ghostbusters yeah the whole franchise and i love this for a lot of reasons number one i'm a huge huge Ghostbusters fan but number two you and I are like the kind of people who find the creation of something to be as interesting as the story itself and I I dig that I I haven't been able to finish your book but so far I can't put it down I'm just soaking up every detail and I love your method thank you very much thanks uh yeah I mean a lot of times uh, in in life uh in art the creation is is can be more interesting than the finished product and uh, certainly with the uh, Ghostbusters, I felt like there hadn't been a book to tell the entire story of, uh, you know, these the first two movies and then that long wait for anything else. And then, you know, all the ups and downs. And, you know, also to put it, you know, I tried to tell the story of the people and like kind of give some cultural context, like industry context, you know, because I felt like no one had done that either, you know. That is a huge win for me because we're not seeing that culture and that the industry environment that you had in the late seventies, early eighties today, people who are in the industry now don't really know what that was like. I mean, I'm not saying I do personally because I'm, I'm only 41. So I, I was born right around the time the movie was being made, but it's, there's such a different world now that movies don't get, dreamed of the same way much less made the same way and I I think that your book does a good job at fleshing that out well thank you yeah it's crazy to even like just in doing research about this and going back and reading uh you know news articles from the early 80s or talk you know when I uh I interviewed Frank Price who is the head of Columbia Pictures um you know set the Ghostbusters deal in motion you know it, it was the fact that like 
when Bill Murray was trying to break into movies, there was this feeling like, what's what's happening? Like the whole industry is crumbling. That they're they're putting Bill Murray in movies now, and like, it's so alien to like the idea of like uh, you know I came up in a time or uh, like you know his personality notwithstanding, it's like he's the funniest guy, and uh, you know his, his any movie of his you're gonna find something really funny, and then he's he's guaranteed to sell tickets. Like you know, just always a superstar. Uh, but there was a time where they're like, who, what is it, you know, it's interesting because it makes me think of that episode of Freaks and Geeks where the bullies are picking on the, the kids and they're like, Bill Murray isn't funny. And I remember seeing that, you know, years ago and thinking like, they, there's no way anybody ever really felt that way. It's there. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Well, we're going through this book here and like Eddie Murphy is another name that comes up. And uh-huh. unfortunately, the joke is now that Eddie Murphy just isn't funny. Yeah. And and I we've seen what he's done in the last his projects he's picked, but there was a time Eddie Murphy was considered to be the funniest man on the planet. Oh yeah, yeah. Like single-handedly saved Saturday Night Live from cancellation. Uh-huh. Everybody wanted him in their project. And uh yeah, yeah. And you know, uh <clears throat> yeah, that's another strange uh strange like strange part of life of of uh i guess being being i'm 43 of also like i remember a time where it was like everyone was obsessed with eddie murphy then it seemed like suddenly everyone just turned on him and it's like he's not uh you know well but what's interesting though too is like um i remember i worked at a video store in college in the mid 90s um you know at a time when the eddie murphy jokes really started like oh this guy you know he, he he's not funny anymore but when when working in that video store, we couldn't keep any of his movies, like any of his recent films. You know, I think um, Doctor Doolittle had just it was Doctor Doolittle or uh, oh gosh, I want a uh, Holy Man or something like that. Like we could not keep them on the shelves. He was still super popular. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just this perception. You know, it became he was a punching bag. You know, it was like because he had some flops. He had some flops. And I think, I mean, because he had been an actor, a successful actor for so long at that point, he just wanted to branch away from being the funny guy. He wanted to do other things to keep his own wit sharp. And I don't begrudge him that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 certainly, you know. And how long, you know, he you can't stay 22 years old forever. So no. He's not, you know. And that was sort of like, um, it was interesting. I guess he he tried to mature the character of Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, but it's like, you know, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to, to compete against your own, your own track record or people's memories or, you know, people's expectations, no matter how great you are, how successful you are at, uh, you know, transitioning or, you know, figuring out what else to do. Something else that's kind of happened in film culture over the past 15 to 20 years is, we've got away from this idea of a single actor opening a movie that there was a time that if you had a key actor in the movie, people would know nothing about it and go to see that actor. You saw this with Murphy, you saw it with Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis and to a lesser extent, like Jackie Chan, I'd be, Mm -hmm. but you don't really have those, those personalities now the way you did back in the the eighties and nineties. No, no, it's much more about, uh, you know, IP and like, Mm -hmm you know uh the franchise is like so many franchises and so and, and you know um yeah it's you, you're absolutely right the la- the only the last person i can kind of remember that i remember just like you know anecdotally or colloquially 
people being like, oh, I'll go see that Ryan Reynolds movie because I know Ryan Reynolds is funny and good looking, you know. Mm-hmm. This is going back like 10 years. And sure. Yeah, obviously, he's still very popular. Um, but that's the last instance I can think of, whereas now it's more like, oh, they're 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 launching this film franchise or they're doing this with Marvel or this is the new comic thing or like, they're you know, they're bringing this back or they're bringing that back. Uh, so, yeah. Um, it's crazy. I, I- Go ahead. I, not, 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 not to belabor the point. I just, I kind of feel like I felt that way with the bulk of Vin Diesel's work. Like he was the attempt to make that. He was the attempt to open a movie with an actor at a point where that didn't really work anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he, he, you know, they, but he still had the the uh, Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. You know, the which those critic. That's like the critic proof franchise. Yeah. People are going to go see it, whether it's good or bad. Um, yeah, and. Uh, <clears throat> You're right, yeah, it's Vin Diesel, but but like you were saying, at that point, it becomes more about the IP than about him. That was it was like a transitional franchise in that yeah. sense, at least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So everybody's bigger, and then you see like, you know, Marvel has become like the only way a lot of these people can still work, or like you know, it's uh, you know, I, I Robert, Robert Redford is in some of these Marvel movies, and to me, it's like, man. <laughs> What so why why are you doing that, Robert Redford? Like, what's the, the, do you need the money, or is it like you want something to do, or like, you know? Uh, but every yeah, you know, and recently they're like, oh, Bill Murray is going to be in Ant Man three, which seems like that's you know that's ridiculous. Why would he do that? But that you know that's what's left. You know, I could see it for Bill Murray because Bill Murray strikes me as the kind of guy who will do anything to amuse himself, because he doesn't need the money, he doesn't need the work. But if it strikes him as being a fun way to spend an afternoon, he would do it. Yeah, Robert I mean, Redford, no. Bill Murray might need the money because he has like six kids and God knows how many grandkids and he's been divorced <laughs> twice. So uh, it's entirely possible he needs the money. Um, probably not, uh, you know, uh, not need in the same way like you and I might need money. But, you know, I think one the inter- an interesting thing that the pandemic has taught us is that, you know, finances are tenuous for everybody. Uh, I remember seeing an interview with David Crosby and you think of him like, oh, David Crosby has been famous for so long, but he's like, if I don't tour, I'm going to lose my house, you know? So it's, it's, I think, you know, as rich as these people are, they still have, you know, it's, they're not as rich, I guess, as we think. Um, So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, uh, to me, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. But of course, you know, the bigger conversation now is like, you know, how much you know how have we tolerated bill murray's bad behavior for so many decades <laughs> like why are they giving him work fair enough fair enough i i but but to go back to your book for a minute i mean most people who haven't spent years researching the topic the way you have well if they know a lot about ghostbusters it is from sharing factoids with other fans or listening to the commentary tracks on the dvd what's the biggest piece that they might be missing if they've taken that path um well you know i think uh uh, i think there's a lot of stuff to miss because i think like uh i think there were things a lot of there was a lot of stuff ivan reitman and dan Aykroyd and all those people didn't really just kind of glossed over didn't didn't get into or you know i feel like there was no they were um they had like like a lot of people like a lot of celebrities like a lot of famous people a lot of actors or actresses or directors they have like this is the narrative i want to tell and i'm not comfortable like saying anymore or delving into other areas you know and you 
to me it's like you kind of missed that like um a lot of critics hated the first Ghostbusters when it came out you know that's like and they and and Columbia thought it was going to be a bomb they didn't think it was going to do well and I think you know there's kind of cultural like framing like that and just the reluctance of some of these people talking about the more negative aspects of the harder stuff and I you know certainly uh, there's been a lot of complaints but in the Ghostbusters fandom about how they have not given the same attention to Ghostbusters 2 as the first movie in terms of like like home video releases with lots of extras and stuff you know and, and it's my understanding that they don't like to revisit Ghostbusters 2 because it didn't do that well it was still a hundred million dollar movie but it, it didn't they wanted it to be like a 300 million dollar movie you know they thought it was going to save everything you know and that hurts and they don't want to you know they don't want to necessarily and it was difficult to make i think um in a lot of respects and uh, they took a lot they took a lot of uh critical hits for it too so you know i i think <clears throat> but i also just in general i think what's fat what's fascinating to me or what i've learned uh working on this book and up and and just just you know being a freelance writer slash researcher in general is just how much information information is not on the internet about anything you know there's so much that's only you know like newspapers and magazines uh you know our history that's been cataloged in library databases that you know it's the internet is really just scratching on the surface uh so this is my appeal for everyone to go get a library card to your local library because you don't you can't even comprehend how much you know information about our history but everything is just you know not available I completely agree and seconded on that. And that's why I like the way you took the approach you did because you're grabbing this information at the time. I, I've seen so many cases where reviews, of the, let's just take movies for this example because that's what we're talking about right now, that there's so much revisionist viewing of the way a movie was made. Ghostbusters 2 being a great example that people will really kind of sit on it and 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 act like it's not that great of a movie or or and while you might not like it as much as the first i consider it to be a, a very very great movie honestly and and most people i knew at the time felt that way that i knew yeah. of. i mean i think it's certainly it's a lot of fun uh you know it's got some funny parts and it's you know it's yeah it's not the worst movie ever made or anything i think that it's just sort of like um it has a different feeling and it uh I, it's sort of like maybe it, it just doesn't have the same uh same magic as the first one and that's you know of course you know what sequel does i mean it's so rare that a sequel can can match that or duplicate it uh and and yeah it was you know like i said it, even though it's viewed as like a disappointment or it didn't work it was still a hundred million dollar movie it, you know it made them lots of money uh i don't know that they necessarily there's a, some dispute uh as to whether or not it actually turned a profit but yeah it's a huge and it's a huge part of the part of culture you know you know everyone is familiar with the pink slime and you know, the carpathian i mean this is stuff that's it's still you know in our consciousness and like we're still given the ghosts given the peace sign the the, the 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 logo from the second movie uh yeah certainly um but the, it's also uh i think that people 
because I think because a lot of us were kids when it came out, where I remember I couldn't believe like they were making it a Ghostbusters 2. I felt like I had won the lottery. Like, mm-hmm. this is amazing. They're making a second Ghostbusters. And, it, you know, a lot of us had that excitement about it. And, um, you know, it was when you're a kid, you don't know. Like, I was, I knew that it wasn't, like, they maybe had a lot of difficulty with it before I, before I started working on the book, I understood maybe it wasn't the easiest thing in the world for them to do. But it wasn't until like I interviewed, uh, I spoke to like Kim Masters who visited the set for Premiere Magazine, which was like, yeah, it wasn't a happy set. Like it was, there was a bad vibe. And, you know, I talked to a few other people who were like, yeah, it was tough. It was tricky. It was, you know, we didn't have time. It was, it was as, as crunched, if not a little bit more crunched than the first movie. And you're still, you're, again, you're dealing with those like expectations of like, it's the second Ghostbusters. We have to, you know, how do we outdo ourselves? Can we outdo ourselves? You know, and I think they've all felt pressure in general. I'm I'm sure people asked uh, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd about it every day of their lives until I made it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm kind of rambling at this point. So. No, no, I, I I get it, and because when you make a sequel of any movie, you lose the what you had the first time is that you you can when you give the people the first movie, they don't know what they're getting they kind of just have this first experience and the, the newness and freshness of it all sometimes is enough to carry you. And, and Ghostbusters was so new and so fresh that it, it was a charming experience. And it's very hard to give somebody the same thing, but better. Like you said, it happens so rarely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that also, I mean, it's kind of the Ghostbusters is the pinnacle of like that stretch in all their careers you know it, uh, where everything just kind of uh you know it's still like a, you know our i would describe ivan reitman's style like comedically uh his filmmaking I, a little ramshackle you know a little like uh <clears throat> i don't know, i'm not i don't know if i'm if i can articulate it <laughs> but it you know it's a little his his uh his movies usually look more like comedies. It's more apparent, uh, you know, that you're watching something funny where Ghostbusters, uh, the 1984 original just kind of, kind of treads the line or kind of blends. There's such a blending of like comedy, but also like a, a, a visceral real look like, it, you know, I, they purposely shot it to look more like a documentary um, or like grittier, you know, uh, and it, it it mixes so many different kinds of humor. I think uh, I think Roger Ebert's the one who pointed this out uh, the first time, or the first time I considered it that they're mixing like sarcasm and parody and American idioms and uh, just like weird off the wall humor, but also like classic kind of American humor. You know, whereas they couldn't get that all together for Ghostbusters Two. You know, it was mm-hmm. just you know it's. It's the way it is, you know. When I and this didn't start with your book, but you you've done a really good job of fleshing it out in my brain. I, I go through the history of the original Ghostbusters and all the revisions and the changes of concepts and the 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 new ideas they had. And each time I hear one, I I sit back and I think, I want to see this movie too. I mean, I like the movie that I got, but I would yeah. really like to see this other version that kicked around maybe over one cup of coffee and then decided it wasn't the way to go. There's so yeah. many different ways they could have gone that I all love them all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, when the when the headquarters was in 
like across the river in New Jersey, uh, you know, and they blow up half of New Jersey. Or like, yeah, I would love to see, uh, you know, Richard Pryor uh, with the Ghostbusters or, you know, or John Belushi or, you know, what if they are going, going to different dimensions, you know, it's like all that stuff is super fun to imagine, you know, especially when you also have the reference point of like, oh, this is maybe what it would have looked like, you know, with the first movie. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's like, it's interesting because yeah, when I interviewed people who worked on it and I asked them like, uh, could you tell by reading the script, like uh, that this was gonna be something special? And some of them were like, yeah, you know, you could kind of feel that this was a little different or this is going to be something unique. And some people were like, no, nah, it was just words on a page. Like, I had no idea. Like, <laughs> like who, who can, yeah, like, you can never tell. Um, yeah, as the audience, we have the, we have the, uh, we're fortunate enough or maybe unfortunate, I don't know. We can't, we can only work backwards, you know? Mm-hmm. So. You look through when you're building the historical context you you list all the movies that are kind of the peers of this as it's getting made and the other movies that are going on at at this time and i love that because you get this point where you, you say to yourself oh well this is a timeless classic oh this is a timeless classic i i think i, I might have heard of that and I, i've never heard of this movie before in my life and you start to realize that it, it's kind of the same thing you don't know which ones are going to rise to the top until well after the fact at the time nobody most people wouldn't have been able to pick the winners from the losers yeah 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 and it's 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 uh yeah and it's it was just fascinating to go back and and read through what people were comparing to or what they're what like this is you know this is the only thing they can compare it to or 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 you know what's what molds are they looking toward and i was surprised i think in the i think it was in the uh, the review that ran in Variety where they're like oh this is just like a comedy version of The Sentinel which is the 70s horror movie I think with uh, Chris Sarandon where it's mm-hmm. like it's a it's a it's a building in New York that's been haunted and that movie is very disturbing in some parts I uh, you know it's it, to me it's like oh my god that movie is like really freaky and I'm like, I, so it's like, uh, and again, you're, this is also like, you're getting into everyone's different point of view, you know, <clears throat> where it's like, uh, um, but there are some things that are, that are like totally true, uh, that, that you can't like when they say, uh, oh, the audiences that watched American Werewolf in London were really confused. Like they didn't know whether to laugh or scream. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, because that movie has some parts that are really funny. And then like, it gets so hyper-violent you know, just like unnecessarily hyper-violent. You're like, oh yeah, this kind of is all over the place. <clears throat> um, but again, it's, uh, you know, compared to The Howling, which uh, The Howling is a little bit sillier, <laughs> um, but still like, uh, oh, there are parts of that where it's like, this is a little, maybe a little too much. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see all of the, you know, the whole tapestry of what was happening back then. <laughs> And another thing that we've kind of lost in this day and age was that we would look at a year of movies and, you know, when this would be one movie released among many, all of which had very different concepts appealing to very different audiences, but it just seemed exciting to see this, this buffet of movies that you could choose from that year. And that, that lasted well through the Ghostbusters 2 era. And by the time we got around to the, the 2016 Ghostbusters movies, that was well in the rearview mirror. We didn't really do that anymore, 
that by that point it was at the ip era yeah and you're also starting to get into into um you know streaming and like netflix and stuff that's kind of staving off a lot of like uh you know like i think i, I talk about this a little bit towards the end of the book where it's like you know the kind of movies that jason reitman uh, built his early career on are the kinds of movies now that don't go to theaters at all you know they wind up on a streaming service you know um and some people are kind of like well that's you know his movies weren't doing well anymore so he went you know he went and said all right i'll do a ghostbusters um but it's but it's also you can't just say these movies aren't doing it. it's just also like the cultural appetite is changing like what people want is like you know uh people would rather like people are more there's greater uh interest in like spectacle or like you know the marvel can the marvel experiment be replicated you know and people don't necessarily want to spend their money going going to a theater is expensive you know uh you know we're assuming that you know when there aren't uh like three or four different plagues going on if you mm-hmm. can go to the theater safely um it's expensive and they don't necessarily want to go just sit and watch like a like a dramedy or i'm i'm blanking on the names of a lot of his movies right now jason reitman but um you know but i think yeah yeah it's it's totally changed like you're not going to get a a movie like thank you for smoking or um or up in the air like i I just it's not going to go into a theater now yeah and and that's that's something i'm i really feel like I don't want to say we have to get back to it, but I, I feel like that people who look at Ghostbusters and and think, man, this was a, a crowning achievement in filmmaking, and I'm I'm one of those people for sure. That, that you have to realize that there are paths to find the same kind of experiences today. They're just not in the movie theater anymore. Yeah, and I mean, you also have to just be open to to new experiences and like what you know what can what might have the ability to touch you in a way that's that you weren't expecting um <clears throat> you know like what like one of the movies uh that i watched while i was working on this book was uh a uh, uh <clears throat> yugoslavian movie uh called as young as he- young and healthy as a rose which uh, ha- has a brief appearance from slavica jovan who played gozer you know this is like 10 years before she played gozer Mm-hmm. and it's like you know this is a this like you know it's kind of a kind of a silly like crime drug like sex movie but the context is like this is revolutionary to put on the screen in Yugoslavia in the mid-70s you know mm-hmm. and it's like you you like suddenly it's like if you understand that like you feel like you understand the swagger and like what this means and how this is like you know really trying to to stand up for you know people's rights for youth rights and stuff like that and you kind of like oh yeah i get it like that you know <clears throat> that i can see that you know and i think that this ties into another part like people need to be more open to experiencing foreign films and foreign culture and you know you never like uh, another uh like i i don't know if you got to this part in the book where after ghostbusters bill murray uh, moved to france and uh you know spent time in france getting away from his fame but also studying acting and he was like oh i saw the best movie of my life uh, that i ever saw um it was um uh it's a (laughs) it was it was a uh it was a film that they only had one copy of only one print of it and it was the russian print so he couldn't understand any of it i want to say it was 
uh, happy something, happy Valley. I don't remember the name. Oh, I feel so dumb. But he's like, this movie changed my life. I didn't understand what anyone was saying, but I was still touched by it. Uh, you know, it was, it was this incredible experience. And I just felt like, how could anybody not look like, how can anyone think about any other movie after you've seen this, you know? And it's like, if he hadn't had that experience where he went to France and was, you know, going to theaters there, he may have never seen that movie. And I think, you know, it's important to, to open yourself. It's going to drive me nuts that I can't remember the name of that movie. I hate uh, that. <laughs> um you know and i don't have a i don't have a copy of the book sitting next to me so all right i'll just let it go but okay. if it comes to you i will put it in the show notes just so we can we can make sure that it gets established so don't don't worry about that okay okay thank you but yeah that's actually happened on a previous episode there's a movie i i keep raving about i saw it several years ago it was a vampire movie and every time it comes up i can't actually remember the name of it and it always drives me crazy i totally get where you're coming from there mm-hmm um but i will i will completely agree with you there in that i think foreign film is one of the last areas most film fans go to to get a new experience and it should be one of the first areas people go to to get a new experience because people Mm -hmm. will say i'm a horror fan and i I pick on horror fans because they're some of my best friends so i don't mind giving the good old ripping here and there Mm -hmm. but they'll be like i'm a horror fan and you know, what am I going to do when I run out of horror movies to watch? I'm going to try out fantasy, but I don't really like it. Or I'm going to try out hard sci-fi and I don't really like it. Well, why don't you try out more horror, but from Germany or France or Japan or Russia, you'll probably get the same vibe you're looking for, maybe better because you stuck with what you know you like, but you found it from a different point of view. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And I, the people talk about, you know, subtitle. Do we even do dubbing anymore? Is that a thing? Um, yeah, I, it is because um, both of my kids uh, like to watch uh, anime. And okay. uh, they have to make a decision sometimes whether they want to see it. Sometimes they're in the mood for it to be dubbed. And so other times they want to look at the subtitles because I think that they uh, cut the shows, they edit the shows differently for each instance you know um so yeah they they definitely still they're still dubbing going on so okay um, i i've been on the subtitle train for as long as i can remember um i i make a, a sometimes i make the exception for anime for the exact reason you just mentioned but for any other genre i just consider it to be subtitle the default on that and i know that was dubbing was a big thing in like up until the late 80s mm-hmm But yeah, it's just one of those things that I really think, especially with now we have this million streaming services and YouTube is right under your feet. And even things like the Internet Archive will just put foreign language films up that you can watch for free. There's no reason not to dip your toe into it. That's right. And uh, also, I just looked it up. Uh, the The name of that movie that Bill Murray saw that, that was only in Russian uh, is called A Romance of Happy Valley. And it was originally made in 1919. Okay. And that's still the only copy that you can find. Uh, I believe it's in France and it was rescued from rescued. It was uh it was borrowed, taken from, stolen from the Russian National Archives. I don't remember the exact story. Um, but there you go. Okay, well now is it he said he didn't understand any of it. Was it silent? Nineteen nineteen, I'm thinking maybe. Um well 
it, if it was silent it only had like the russian cars you know? right it, it didn't have the english translation Th- that that's uh, what i was getting i said yeah i know it's a step farther for a lot of people but i mean once you dabble in foreign film and you really have to look into silence next yeah because yeah. The, when you look at filmmaking as a visual storytelling pardon me for getting on a soapbox here i'm sorry but it's like it's visual storytelling and then you're completely taking out most of the spoken words at all and you're sticking purely on the visuals silence are amazing yeah yeah absolutely yeah i agree there's a lot okay. of them, incredible uh silent films and it's like That's, a whole, di- whole different language practically it, it really is it's a whole different sensibility in terms of how things are made and and again sorry i just just get jazzed about that sort of thing but we're, we're both film fans and we both dig this so absolutely so what are your memories of being in, invested in the film franchise the, the ghostbusters franchise as a kid uh well you know it was like the most it seemed like the most exciting thing uh <clears throat> I, you know, it was, it was, it's hard to sort of, you know, this is, this is the hardest part, I think, about the book to write. It was the introduction. I didn't want to go on too long about uh, my, the way it made me feel as a kid, because it was difficult to put into words, um, as you can see. <laughs> and, you know, it was like this crazy, uh, it seemed like I was attracted to it because it seemed to have like all this adult humor that I didn't necessarily understand, but also was like amusing to me it was in a, like an incredible concept uh, of like guys fighting ghosts and the special effects were awesome. And um, I just, and it, you know, it, I grew up, uh, you know, like an hour or so outside of New York city. So it felt like this is, you know, this is like relatable, you know, like my own memories, uh, you know, I had memories that look like, uh, you know, a lot of the scenes in the original ghost, like the, you know, the, a lot of the background scenes and the scenes of the city and stuff so it it all it felt tangible but at the same time it was like this is so fantastical and these guys are so funny and weird um you know and then you know when they made Ghostbusters 2 like I said I was like ecstatic like I couldn't believe it and I was so mad in the in the summer of 1989 I lived in a town with only one movie theater I don't even think they showed Ghostbusters 2 there I think they were showing Ghostbusters 2 in the next town over mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, I I didn't get to go see it in the theater. I didn't I didn't get to see uh, Batman either. I was excited about Batman too. But um, uh, so but it was like I when I finally saw it on video, I was like, this is great. It's wonderful. I love it. Da da da. And then uh, you know, like everybody else, I spent decades like like when are they gonna are they ever gonna make Ghostbusters three? Like what's going on with that? Uh, you know, and um, it was uh. You know, followed it uh, as obsessively as anybody else, I think. And um, yeah, just I wanted, and I got to, you know, after when they announced Afterlife, you know, uh, I was like, all right, I got to seriously try to do this book now. Cause I, I tried to do it in the past and it had, didn't take off, but I was like, I got to, I got to make this happen. Well, I'm darn glad you did because this is a, a story that needs to be told. I'm glad somebody, with your perspective is telling it rather than somebody who's going to just 
completely gloss over the warts and like you say at the beginning of the book you're all about the warts because that's really where the flavor of the history gets lost and and not just looking at the the mistakes and the the stupid decisions and the the, the dumb arguments that resulted in the result that we have now the thing that we love you know might have come from some really bad decisions or just some weirdness and that's okay just just be honest about what happened and how we got here yeah yeah i mean i think it's obviously you know you're i think it's tricky because you're dealing with somebody as as volatile as bill murray who's also you know the really the anchor of a lot of it um and uh you know it seemed it seemed to me like uh you know, I heard uh, all sorts of different things about Ivan Reitman uh, when I was working on this book. I think you know, there were things he just didn't, he's like, I don't want to get into it, you know, I don't feel like talking about it, you know. He's kind of like, I don't know, just, you know, not just not uh, as uh, not as open as, as other people. And I think Dan Aykroyd, too, is also a little more like, he's always, Dan Aykroyd has always struck me as like an old school Hollywood type of person who's like, I'm selling the picture, you know, I don't want to talk about the the negative stuff you know uh <clears throat> so you know and ernie hudson is obviously a class act and he's mm-hmm. not gonna like you know throw anybody under the bus i mean he's definitely discussed some of the more difficult issues he's had working on the ghostbusters movies but he's also expressed plenty plenty of gratitude for it and like you know he's not bitter or he doesn't seem to be bitter uh you know and um I don't know and i mean i guess it all it boils down to like it's it's so successful and it's like you know maybe they feel like ghostbusters make so many people happy you know why would we want to dig up the negative stuff i i completely respect that and i also respect the fact that you know these people were in their 20s and 30s when they got this project off the ground and you know decades later they're just very different people professionally artistically personally spiritually i get that you grow as a person and just dig airing out your dirty laundry that far after the fact doesn't seem to benefit anybody if that's what if you're trying to keep it buried for that reason i get it yeah but it, but it, i feel also like if you, oh, i didn't mean to interrupt you i'm sorry no go ahead go ahead I, i'll wait uh but at the same time where it's like something if you create something that's so popular as Ghostbusters, where people feel ownership of it and people have such a stake in it, it's also like, well, why wouldn't you want every, you know, obviously, you know, uh, the, the, the issues between Bill Murray and Harold Ramis were, you know, they were bigger than Ghostbusters, you know, or like, yeah, I think, and I think that, you know, it's, to me, it's sort of like, um, listen, I understand why Steven Spielberg might not want to talk about the Twilight Zone movie, you know, uh, but, you know, um, no one committed a, like manslaughter on a Ghostbusters movie. So I kind of feel like everything was resolved. They made Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like, you know, why not get into it? You know, you obviously all remain friends to some extent. And And what I would, what I was going to get at was, even though, we just talked about the number of ways that the world is different today. The industry is different today. The culture is different today. There are people out there who would like to make the next Ghostbusters or, or their own movie that would be a Ghostbusters-ish experience. And they're probably having a hell of a time. They're probably dealing with a lot of their own warts that 
they they shouldn't be discouraged because of that because it does come out in the wash and, and really great things have come from some really trying circumstances yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and uh we we won't even know what the next thing you know <laughs> i think it's impossible to know what the next thing is or what, like the only reason i have any <clears throat> any grasp on like what's new and exciting is because i you know i have two teenage kids i mean i wouldn't know i would know otherwise but and and it's this is another huge thing is like you have to factor in like about like movie watching attention is divided also between video games and the internet now in a way in such a way like you know video games have become so insane <laughs> like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and, to, and that's like and that's my the my kids their main thing is like oh man like like they want they have they're so invested in the lore of like their favorite gaming experiences you know so it's like you got all that going on so whoever's making the next ghostbusters the next the next movie of that of that ilk it's like also gonna be like you know the next ghostbusters may have already come out as a video game you know Uh, in terms of effect and popularity you know so well i mean for the for the longest time the ghostbusters you know xbox 360 era game basically was ghostbusters 3 it was treated as such for quite a while yeah yeah. because you know we just lost hope that the ghostbusters 3 was ever going to get made so we just took what we had yeah 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 uh but i I meant like you know uh like there's probably a new property you know that's having the effect in that realm that uh, right that, and uh, I, I got what you meant i just 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 felt like that was just an interesting that we had to use ghostbusters as that specific example when that we we literally did have a phase in the fandom where it's like this is all you're ever going to get deal with it yeah yeah and i i i interviewed the the guy who uh um like spearheaded to get that ghostbusters video game and uh <clears throat> they were going to call it ghostbusters 3 like right up until i think like right up until it was almost done <clears throat> because they didn't uh excuse me the way he tells it is that sony did not have any uh attachment to the property they kind of didn't care about it but once the ball started rolling with this ghostbusters video game they kind of saw the reaction that it was getting they're like oh maybe there's hope for a third movie Mm -hmm. so let's just call this ghostbusters the video game like for the majority of its development it was called ghostbusters 3 uh I had an early DVD and I'm trying to remember, it might've been one of the Ghostbusters, but for some reason, I don't think it was. I think it was another Dan Aykroyd movie, but when it listed his filmography, it actually listed Ghostbusters 3 as coming out in 2003 because they were just so certain it was going to happen. There was, there was a, on the 1941 DVD, it lists Ghostbusters 3 coming out in 1999. And I think there's a similar credit on one of the Blues Brothers DVDs because yeah, they were, they were convinced it was gonna happen um yeah i just i recently uh like tweeted about that i tweeted like a screenshot of the 1941 filmography for dan Aykroyd, and uh yeah you know <laughs> well james i want to thank you so much for writing this book and i want to thank you so much for being here on the show with me today i would love to have you back anytime oh yeah i'd love to come back anytime I'm going to link your book in the show notes so people can pick it up in whatever format they choose. I'm going to put your Twitter information on there and your website. Is there anywhere else people can go to follow your adventures on the internet? <laughs> my, my adventures on the internet and in life. Uh, yeah, I have a, 
I've got a blog uh, that said, uh, it's, uh, I'm going to spell the letters. It's jgtwo.com, jg2.com. That was my nickname for a really long time. Uh, Yeah, I've been posting more on there, uh, you know, as of late, because it looks like Twitter is about to explode. Um, But yeah, that's uh, that's basically it, you know. Um, Yeah, so... And whatever, yeah, Twitter or wherever. <laughs> I'll make sure that all goes in the show notes. James, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great. Thanks. I would like to thank James for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. As I said before, this was a great chat. I mean, it's a great chat about Ghostbusters in general. But it's also a great chat about film culture. And I've mentioned before that I feel like film culture has happened in some very distinct stages that we're only now starting to appreciate in hindsight, knowing what enjoying film was like in our generation, in our grandparents' generation, and even in our great-grandparents' generation, depending on how old your great-grandparents were. We've gone through the stages where you watched film in theaters, where you watched film in drive-ins, on cable TV, on VHS, DVD, and now streaming. And these all took part in different cultures and different times in our lives when the priority we gave movies was important. There was a time when going out to a movie was a huge to-do. It was a cause for dressing up and almost a vacation. And there have been times when doing a movie was something that you did with your buddies at the mall, and it was a way to kill an hour and a half, and there was nothing more to it than that. And there have been all sorts of extremes in between. We have the the so-called Netflix and chill these days. We have the art of, you know, doing Netflix binges or getting stacks of DVDs at Best Buy. These have all been experiences that have come and gone and come back again in some cases. And if we're going to talk about this, I'd like to recommend two other episodes for you too. There's episode 146, which wasn't that long ago with cinema snob Brad Jones. We spent a lot of time talking about movie culture there. And episode 140 with Austin Trunick, I'd like to sit down and really have a good, solid conversation with you, the audience, about the different ways you've enjoyed cinema in your lives, and when you came to it, and how you came to it. Whether you're somebody who's 15 years old, and you're just now working your way through your first Netflix queue, or whether you've been into cinema for decades, and you have film reels stuck in your garage, I I don't know, but I want to hear your story. Please reach out to me at Aaron Bossig on Twitter, also at Aaron Bossig on Instagram and Hive. You can email me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. And we can talk a lot about movies, but one thing you tend to not find at the movie theater, at least most of the ones I've gone to, is a good cup of coffee. Very few movie theaters offer coffee, so this is something you'd want to do at home with the streaming box or the Blu-ray player. Sit yourself a nice batch of sci-fi coffee, and I'll tell you something special about sci-fi coffee. They roast their coffee as they get the orders in, so when your order gets packaged, the chances are very, very good. It was roasted within 24 hours of that it going into that box and being taped up. You can get your order done at sci-fi-coffee.com, and you can get 10% off that order by entering the coupon code HUNGRY, as in Hungry Trilobite. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Good Pods. And thanks so much. We'll see you next time.